Uh, let's turn to Acts, Acts chapter 7. We want to uh, finish Acts chapter 7 tonight, if the Lord's willing, and we want to look at the final hour of Stephen, the final, Stephen's final hour, starting in verse number uh, 54, starting in 50, verse 54 down through verse number 60. So let's, let's read that. Bible says, when, I, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. All right, let's pray one more time. Lord in heaven, I pray for your blessing upon your word, that you would give your, your people just exactly what they need from your word and guide me, Lord, that I might be able to, to say what they need and that you would take control of our service and especially as we focus upon what you've said. What I say doesn't matter, but Lord, what you've said does matter and I pray it would truly edify and strengthen your people. Lord, please do among us, Lord, what only you can do because we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in, in uh, chapter 7, verse 54, one thing that's really uh, was, that we kind of got to start with in, in verse number 54 is that Stephen is filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Now, we've already studied the filling of the Spirit, and so we, we understand doctrinally what that means. It's, it's such a powerful influence of the Spirit of God that... The Spirit of God is controlling a person. Now, by control, we don't mean in the same way that you see demonic spirits controlling people. When demonic spirits control people, they have no, they have no volition of their own. They are, the, 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 the devil is in complete control of everything they do. However, with the Spirit of God, what it is is compared, it's compared to alcohol. It's an influence whereby... The individual who is filled with the Spirit is still present, is still there, is still in control of themselves, but that influence is so strong that the Lord is just kind of carrying them along and guiding them and, and directing them. So that, and even when a person is filled with the Spirit of God, it is possible to instantly grieve the Spirit of God because the person still has their will. And uh, But what we see here is that Stephen is filled with the Spirit. So what we find is because he's filled with the Spirit, whatever he says and whatever he does, we know that it is done under the influence of God. So in that way, we can look at what he's saying and we can understand that there's no room for us to say, well, maybe Stephen this, maybe Stephen that. You know, for instance, the Bible says that he looked up steadfast into heaven and he saw Jesus. All right. He saw Jesus. I read a, commenta a commentary uh, today or yesterday that said that he didn't see Jesus. <laughs> well, this is, why, why would you even say that? Why would you even say that? What's that? Just can't help it. You just got to be smarter, right? Got to be smarter. He did actually see Jesus, and it was a miraculous event. But think about it. Think about it. 
This event in which, in which he saw Jesus Christ being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. So he not only sees him, he talks to him, right? He, he sees him enough to talk to him directly. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, he says. So what, what is amazing about this is we know that the Jews are the ones, throughout the Old Testament history, there's, there's, uh, there's often times where God gave visions to prophets, where they saw things. You think of the whole book of Ezekiel is basically a vision, right? The vision of Isaiah or Jeremiah, different things like that. Here, so these Jews are used to this idea of men being seen special things because God reveals it to him. And here Stephen is having a vision. But this is, I think this is more than a vision. This is Stephen. Stephen is actually peering directly into heaven. God is opening heaven and allowing him to see into heaven. And Stephen, I, I got to thinking, why did God do this? And it occurred to me, he did it for the Jews. He didn't do it for Stephen. Stephen's about to meet the Lord. He did it for the Jews. It, this vision where Stephen sees and then testifies to what he sees was, was a witness to the Jews. Remember, Paul later is going to have a same, the same experience, essentially. He's going to see Jesus in heaven. So Stephen has the same experience that, that is one of the requirements to be an apostle of Christ. Even though he's not an apostle, he had that same experience right before he died as a testimony to the Jews. Remember, Paul had that experience, as I said, and then he used that experience to talk to, the, to tell the Jews about Jesus. This is what happened to me. I was on my way to Damascus and I saw a light from heaven and I saw Jesus. That was how he testified. So this is a testimony. What a powerful testimony. What a powerful Final appeal to the Jew. Now, you go into chapter 8, things are changing fast. Chapter 8, 9, 10, things are moving fast. You get to chapter 13, there's missionaries going out to the, to the Gentile world. I mean, just a few chapters later, not much time. This is God's final appeal to the, to the Jews as a nation, right? Because remember, he's speaking to the, uh, to the council. But notice, as I said, he was filled with the Spirit of God. And so that's one way we know that he actually, whatever he said was, was actually true. Was true. It wasn't imagining it. No, the Lord was in control of what Stephen was saying and doing. Now think about this influence of the Spirit of God and how it affected him. That means, again, I, I, I'm repeating myself a little bit, but remember, to be filled with the Spirit of God means that God is influencing you to such a degree that he is essentially controlling what you say and do. All right? It's a, it's a powerful thing. This is not a common thing. And Stephen doesn't appear to have any fear. Even though there were great causes of fear all around him, there were people gnashing on him with their teeth. He knew that whole room hated his guts and wanted nothing more than his blood spilled. He doesn't appear to have any fear. Being filled with the Spirit of God, he mimicked the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in two ways. He actually basically quotes Christ twice. 
See, when a person is filled with the Spirit of God, they do what Jesus did. You know, I know that's a cliche, right? Do what Jesus did. And everybody that used to wear those bracelets in the 90s never did what Jesus did. <laughs> that's just a fact, is it not? They wore the bracelets, do what Jesus, what would Jesus do, and I'm going to do the opposite. And that's exactly what they did. But when he's filled with the Spirit, he actually does what Jesus does. And when a person is filled with the Spirit, that's exact. Because remember, Jesus was filled with the Spirit in this same way all the time. It wasn't come, go, come and go. It was all the time. All the time. And being filled with the Spirit, he, re, he loved those that rejected him and hated him. He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Our Lord did that too. Now hold your, hold your place here really quick. Turn fast, if you can, to, to Luke chapter 9. I want to show you something about that, about this in particular, before we move on to another point of Stephen's final hour. Luke 9, verse 54. The disciples go into this, uh, this, this, the village of the, of the Samaritans, and verse 53 says, And they did not receive, them, receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So Jesus goes into these village of the Samaritans. They reject him. They don't want to have anything to do with him. Verse 54, And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Let me ask you a question. Is that what Jesus did? When Jesus was rejected, did he seek the destruction of those rejectors? No. He says, but he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. When, uh, when Peter tried to cut the head off of Malchus, the high priest's servant, what did Jesus say? He rebuked him. He said, put your sword back in its sheath. Paraphrasing. You don't know what spirit you're of. And here, see, here's the thing I want you to understand. What is our natural tendency when we're done unjustly, when we're treated unfairly, when we're maligned and mischaracterized, is anger. But that is not spiritual. That is not spiritual when we're mistreated to be angry. That is natural. <laughs> that is carnal. You say, well, God was angry. Well, there's one little problem with that is that you and I are not God. <laughs> God can be angry and be holy. We rarely can be both at the same time. I would almost say never. <laughs> but Stephen, being filled with the Spirit of God, is not angry. He prays for those that reject him. Just to, you see this, this, the difference in the Spirit? When the disciples are with Christ, they say, Destroy him! <laughs> Stephen, being filled with the Spirit. The disciples, of course, were filled with the Spirit as well. Prayed for their forgiveness, for their pardon. See, that's why you got to be careful about politics. I listen to the radio, and I, I often, I'm in my car, and I'll be like, Lord, I, what I do is, I, 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 this is what I say. I get so frustrated, things I hear, things I see, I observe. And it's like, Lord, look upon it. 
look upon it. That's what I say. But you know what? Those kinds of things, the anger that somehow, that sometimes you, you'll, you'll see that kind of spirit, it'll infiltrate churches in the way we interact with, with people that, that don't know the Lord. This patriotism and our, our desire for justice and, and law, and those, it'll, it'll infiltrate the church. And now Christians are having the same attitude and tone as the conservative commentators and the YouTube channel artists and all that kind of stuff. What did Jesus have? Stephen, filled with the Holy Ghost, what was his spirit toward those that rejected him? It was not hatred. In fact, the contrast between these two groups is startling. You have these people who are, who are I mean, they're religious to the nth degree. They're religious to the nth degree. The numbers of laws and rules they had to follow, both the Pharisees and the, the priests, the Sadducees. The, it was just unbelievable and as religious as they are, it was their whole life, it was their whole identity, and yet they are filled with satanic hatred. <laughs> Somebody can be so religious, but yet so full of, of the devil, so full of hate. And that's what the Bible says. They were full of the devil, just like Cain was when he killed his brother. And by contrast, you see Stephen, filled with a spirit full of love. You know why? Because that is a fruit of the Spirit. Even though he had great reason to hate. It's amazing, the contrast between these two. Now, look at verse 58 and 9. The Bible says, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 real quick. Here you have a man who is filled with the Spirit. This is what the Bible says of him in this, in this passage. He's filled with the Spirit. He has a vision in which he actually sees Christ with his eyeballs. He commits his Spirit to Jesus. He prays for his enemies' forgiveness. He imitates Christ in every way. I mean, you think this man is, if there ever was an upstanding, you know, exemplary Christian, this man is that, and yet he's killed. You see, this idea that floats around Christianity in our day, especially because our day is a day of liberty and prosperity, it floats around this idea, the Joel Osteen idea, that if... If, I'm, if I follow the Lord, all will be well with me. I won't get sick. I won't have misfortune. I won't lose money. I won't have a car accident. I won't get a disease. Da-da-da-da-da. I won't be persecuted. That is all false. That is all false. And Stephen, this one example, if there were no others, proves that. Here Stephen is probably way better of a believer, as far as that goes, than we'll ever, ever dream of being. And yet he is being executed. So much for your best life now. But you know what? This applies to all other areas of our life as well. And you know what? If you, if that's why, one reason it's so important for us to know church history. Because church history is riddled with faithful people who suffered for the Lord. 
That is not the exception. Stephen is not the exception. It's the rule. And so if we, if we believe the subtlety, the subtle doctrine that gets into churches and Christianity, mostly because of Channel 16, do they even have that now, WGGS? And that's where a lot of those, these kinds of preachers come on. Now it's all on YouTube. Same basic thing. If we let that come into our mind, when suffering and persecution and those things come to our lives, it will disillusion us. It'll make us think we're not right with God. It'll make us think that, that somehow something's not right. Maybe we're, we're doing something wrong. It, it'll, it'll, it'll dampen our hopes and it'll disappoint us. And, and you know what? That causes people to draw back from the Lord. It really does. Because they come at it with a wrong expectation. But Stephen, Stephen's case shows you can be faithful to God and that doesn't mean you're going to escape suffering. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. I'm going to read verse number 30, 34, 35. Look at what it says. And this, this proves my point. It says this. Who through faith, verse 33, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. All the prosperity preachers love these verses. They had faith and so they did this and they quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And then they stop at this colon and they don't read anymore. The same people that were full of faith, that are in the hall of faith, that are noted for their faith, read the rest of the verse. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had a a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stones, think Stephen. They were sawn asunder, sawed in half. Were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and, and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They wandered in deserts, verse 38, and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. But they're in the hall of faith too. And it didn't turn out good for them. So this idea needs to go away from our mind. None of us like suffering. <laughs> that just goes without saying. But... In this life, it is not to be expected that we will escape it. And it does, it is not a mark that somehow we're not following the Lord. Now, if you're in rebellion to the Lord, you can expect suffering to come and He's going to correct you. But if you're not, that doesn't mean that every day is going to be smooth sailing. As much as we want that. Let's keep going back in back in Acts. There's a couple other things I want to show you. Verse number 59, the Bible says this, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, we'll not go back and look at it in in Luke chapter 23, but when Jesus is on the cross, what does he say in Luke? Those of you who have been in my Sunday school class, you better know. What does he say? One of the seven sayings is, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Notice. Jesus prayed to the Father and commended or or committed his spirit to the Father. And now Stephen says essentially the same thing, but not to the Father, but to Jesus. So Jesus has taken the place of the Father. 
in the same prayer. This is one, this is one, of, those, one of those nuggets you, 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 might, you might overlook easily. This is demonstrating that Jesus and the Father are equal. Because the, the Lord Jesus Christ is serving in the same capacity as the Father was when Jesus was on the cross. But that's not all. Notice in verse 59, they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, just as when, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. What did Jesus expect? It, from, based upon that one, that one um, which was his final saying, what did Jesus expect when he died? What, what did he expect would happen to him? Yeah. Exactly. In fact, John 13 says exactly that. John 13, let, just hold your place here because I, I can get to it pretty quick and then we'll come right back to Acts. John 13, verse 1. Listen to what Jesus says about this. Now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. You see that? So when Jesus died, based upon him saying, into thy hands I commend my spirit, he, he believed, he knew he was going immediately to be with the Father. Stephen, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What is Stephen expecting? He's expecting that the moment that he dies, he is going to be with Jesus. Right? That's what, that, that's what that demonstrates. Listen, there are people that believe that when you die, you don't go to be with Jesus. And that's wrong. That's error. And some, some, someone might look at this and, well, well look at the end, of the, the end of the chapter. Verse 60 says, he fell asleep. You see, that's what we mean. Soul sleep. But no, 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 hold on. This is body sleep. This isn't soul sleep. Because he says, Lord Jesus... My spirit, that is my inner man, the immaterial part of man, is going to you. <laughs> the body's going to be asleep, right? So don't get this confused. Uh, there's a couple, a couple of verses I, wanna, I want to read to you. 2 Corinthians, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 really quick, as well as Philippians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Philippians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 says this. <clears throat> Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So that means if I'm here in my body, I'm not with God. I'm not with the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. This verse clearly says, when a person is absent from the body, that's, that's speaking of physical death, they are present with the Lord, just the same as when they're not with the Lord, they're in the body. In verse 6, look at Philippians. I think Philippians is actually even more clear. Philippians chapter 1, verse 22 The Bible says this, But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet, what I shall choose, I wot not. I, I don't know. 
For I am a straight, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart. What's he talking about? He's talking about death and to be with Christ. So, which is far better? Now, what people that believe in soul sleep, what they say is, well, basically when you die, it's like you go to sleep and then at the resurrection, if you're saved, then at the resurrection, you, you rise again, you go be with, be with Christ. Problem is, that's not what this says. The problem is, this says when you depart, you go to be with Christ. There's not like a span, of, an intervening span of time. It's you leave, to depart means to leave, right? You leave this body and you take a journey and you, your destination is Jesus. Now, the reality is, though, the, the reason why people might believe in this idea of soul sleep is it, it affects another doctrine, which is usually referring to the doctrine of hell. That's really what it's about. That's, that's what they want to avoid. It's not that they have a problem with a Christian going to be with Jesus when they die immediately. It has to do with an unbeliever going to hell fire. Because if a Christian goes to, to be with Jesus then it also, by, it also stands to reason that a sinner dies and immediately goes away from Jesus to hellfire. And actually, that's what Luke chapter 16 says exactly, which is a, a, a historical account. All right, last thing I want you to see is this term sleep. Let's look at Acts 7 again, and we'll be done. Verse 60 says, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Oftentimes, when Lazarus died, the Lord referred to his death, physical death, as sleeping. Often the Lord, even in the Old Testament, sometimes death was referred to as sleeping. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Referring to death as sleeping is something that is exclusive to a believer. Especially when you look at the New Testament. And it's often associated with the resurrection. All right, here's, here's, here's why. By using the term sleep, think about, think about what's happening with Stephen. Think about what's happening. This is a violent death. This is a violent death, but yet his death is called sleep. The, the two mix, it just doesn't seem to go together. But when, because the Lord uses the term sleep to describe the Christian's physical death, it reminds us of this. First, that there's an expectation of awaking. Right? By using the word sleep, sleep is a temporary state. And every one of us wants to go to bed tonight and wake up in the morning. <laughs> So there's an expectation of awaking, which is the resurrection. That's why it's referring to the body, not the soul. Because there's an expectation of a waking at the resurrection. And if you look, we won't look at it, but in 1 Corinthians 15, the great passage about the resurrection of Christ, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about the rapture, you see the word sleep is used in both of those because the context is the resurrection of the body. Even though 1 Thessalonians 4 says that those that, are, that sleep in Jesus, will God, God will bring with him. That means they're with him. And he's bringing them from heaven when their body is awakened. You see, you see it, it, makes, it makes perfect biblical sense 
when you look at all the verses related to that. But using the word sleep, it it tells us there's an expectation of awakening. Number two, it tells us that physical death to a Christian is most similar to a peaceful rest. Now, I'm not going to ask you, but if I were to ask you, to be honest, how many of you are afraid to die? Some of you would probably raise your hand. To a child of God, death is like taking a nap. That's why the term is used. So number three, the Lord uses the term sleep to describe a Christian's physical death because it reminds us that there is no cause for alarm in a Christian's death. It is not something to be feared. Have I ever died? No, I haven't. I've never died. Does my own death, is it something that, you know, that will give you pause to think about? Yeah. But just like every other thing in our life as a believer, literally, every other thing. We read the verse just in passing a minute ago in 2 Corinthians. It says, we walk by faith, not by sight. And just like every other aspect of our life as a believer, we face it by faith. That is, we take what God says about it and we rest in that. That's what it means, right? To walk by faith. And you know what God says about it? He says, it's like going to sleep. I don't know about you, to you, but to me, that's, that's pretty comforting. You know, if something is alarming and it causes you great anxiety, you know, what that, you know what that does? It takes sleep away from you, right? How many of you have ever lost sleep because of anxiety? Well, the Lord says death to a, to a believer is like sleep. In other words, there's nothing to be anxious about. You know, I, I, you know when you don't have a dream or anything, what's it, what it like? You lay down there. You don't ever know the moment that you fall asleep unless you have one of those jerk moments. You know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> one of those jerk moments. <laughs> Wake the whole neighborhood up. But you never know the moment that you, that you fall asleep. All of a sudden, you're laying there, and the last thing you remember is the last thought that you had, and the next thing you remember is what? That stupid alarm going off. No, the next thing you remember is awake. So think about as a believer, this is, this is how God describes it, not me. I can't. How can I speak authoritatively on this subject? I can't. This is what God's, how God describes it. So the believer, he, he gets to that point where he's going to die. The Lord is calling him. He doesn't know exactly when that happens, but all he knows is the next thing he knows, he's with Jesus. That's comforting. 